GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your trusted source for useful and legitimate Web3 information so you don't fall behind the internet revolution. I'm Jay Bird and always joined by my co-host Kyle Reedhead, and we believe that Web3 is going to change the world. That's why we're here to guide the world's top talent down the rabbit hole as you participate, contribute, and capitalize on the opportunity. Episode three of our wallet series, we had JP from Exodus on the show today. And I don't know that we're allowed to do favorites in this. I mean, there's no rules. We could do whatever we want, Jay. But you've, this you've already was, said it. Yeah, I didn't say it was my favorite. I'm just saying I'm amped up. We just finished the recording and I'm amped up. It was one, a lot of fun, super informative. And we went deep into like where the space is going to go into the future which is all I've been wanting to do. So it's really, really good. JP's just been in this space for so long. We're building in this space and thinking about this stuff for so long that he just kind of sees it and he sees where it's going, at least where we think it's going. And he's just a true builder. That's what I got from this episode. It's just like he's build mode on all the time. And someone who's in build mode all the time just like really understands this stuff. And it's just thinking so much about it in terms of just all the different things that Exodus has done, the way that they're like bringing equity to their company, to the way that they're trying to monetize, to like, all these things. It was just such an interesting story. It was a lot of fun. This was a great one. Yeah, I think the three things that stood out to me about this episode were, one, as you said, Kai, how Exodus did a public offering on-chain, the first company to do that in America, and JP explains that and breaks that down and really is writing the playbook for how that will happen in the future. Second was the manner in which wallets have such complex UX now, but will have much simpler UX in the future and how JP sees that. And then finally, and this really blew my mind, was JP's belief that dApps will all have their own wallets and how that will play out and how that will lead to the eventual future where everything security all happens through our phones. Like JP just went so deep. And this was a nice conversation around the kind of the business of wallets and the ecosystem of wallets, less of like the wallets 101, which I think we covered well with Ledger and Brave. This was more like, where is this whole space going? How are they making money? How is this going to be sustainable? And then like, what are the risk factors of wallets with things like Apple and the SEC? And I don't know who else we talked about, Google, I think, and Elon at one point came up. Like just so many different aspects were brought up in here. It was an eye-opening episode for me. Yeah, and JP's got the background because he first co-founded Exodus about eight years ago. He's the CEO of Exodus. Exodus is one of the most popular multi-chain wallets that are out there. JP's also written and published over 200 open source libraries and written code that's used by Bitcoin currently, as well as like many top cryptocurrency softwares that are online today. So he's really part of that foundational layer of Web3 and blockchain that's going to bring the masses on board in the future. And fun fact, and maybe this is why I think it's also my favorite episode or one of my favorite episodes, is uh, Exodus was the first wallet that I ever had. It's when actually an employee from Exodus, when I was in Mexico, introduced me to crypto and he got me to download a wallet, sent me some ETH and basically threw me down the rabbit hole that I still have not came out of. So thanks to Davey, I just like, I don't sleep anymore. And all I do is think blockchains and technology and all this stuff. So it was my intro into this space. Jay, anything else you want to add or should we get to our sponsors before we move into this episode? Let's rock and roll, baby. Let's go. 
The future of social media is here, and that future lives in Web3 on top of Lens Protocol. Web2 social platforms are broken and ripe for disruption. You see, the epicenter of social media is the creators, and yet they are the most neglected. Web2 platforms like Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram are all essentially robbing creators of their worth. Creators are a new type of entrepreneur, forming new types of businesses. Yet with Web2 platforms, creators don't own their content or their profiles, and that's their product and business. Instead, they are tied to the platforms they choose to create on. Well, just like how crypto is freeing us from banks, Web3 is freeing us from these centralized platforms. On Lens Protocol, creators own their content, own their profile, and even their social graph and followers in the form of NFTs. This allows you to move freely from one social application to another with your content, profile, and followers moving along with you. Lens Protocol enables self-sovereignty for your social graph and interoperability across the internet. At Web3 Academy, we believe this is the future of social, and that's why we've partnered with Lens to ensure that the path of social media is heading in the right direction. Visit lens.xyz to learn more today. Shared ownership is revolutionizing the way we think of digital ownership. Did you know that you can benefit from the utility of a Board Ape Yacht Club, CryptoPunk, or Azuki without actually spending tens of thousands of dollars to buy it? How? By buying an access key to the asset. You see, with Segment, you can now buy and hold parts of an expensive NFT and share in its ownership and utility, like airdrops or exclusive access. As an owner of a high-profile NFT, you can distribute ownership with access keys and create liquidity for yourself. It's a win-win situation. Plus, the ownership and transfer of these keys are managed on-chain, which ensures transparency and security. Now, we want the Web3 Academy community to be on the forefront of this new wave of NFT utility, which is why we partner with Segment, a non-custodial NFT platform set to launch in Q3 of this year. Segment aims to allow users to easily create access keys and share ownership of NFTs with other friends and community members. The team is going through their beta release soon and has opened up their waitlist for Web3 Academy listeners. If you want to stay on the forefront of Web3, sign up for Segment's waitlist today with the link in the show notes below. Shared ownership is a game changer and we want you to be there first. JP, welcome to the show. So happy to finally get you on the show. We've been talking about it for a while. How are you doing today? Absolutely, guys. I'm doing great and thank you for having me here. I'm just super excited about what's happening in the industry coming off of East Denver. And then unfortunately with kind of the chaos that's been ensuing this week with both Silvergate and Silicon Valley Bank, despite that chaos, I am super excited and bullish for the industry that all of us are in and, and what we can build and, and do something great for the world. So thank you again for having me here today. But before we jump into Exodus, just because you brought up East Denver, give us in a few sentences, what was the vibe? What's the feeling coming off of that? The vibe was amazing. I can't believe like how much energy was there. I mean, it felt to me like if you were at ETH Denver, you would look around and you would say, you'd be like, what bear market? What bear market's happening? But not only that, like what's really cool about a lot of crypto conferences is that, you know, everybody knows that in crypto, there's a, we're a bunch of DGENs, right? And so in crypto conferences, you see you see a person walking around in like a unicorn costume or whatever, and like it's completely normal, right? <laughs> Imagine if you're at like, you know, Warren Buffett's first conference. <laughs> Then in Omaha, and imagine you see a unicorn walking around, you'd be like, this person in a unicorn costume. At a crypto conference, especially an Ethereum conference, that is just such a common sight. And so again, the energy was strong. I think everybody felt really good about being there. I heard the attendance numbers, I'm probably going to butcher them slightly, but it was something like what, like last year, 
they had, I think like 20,000 in attendance. And this year it was like 35,000 or so, give or take. I mean, it was just phenomenal, phenomenal numbers. And again, the energy was really strong. I'm not sure how to transition from walking around a conference in a unicorn into the origin story of Exodus, but here's my attempt. Let's go back to the beginning of Exodus. Give us the origin story of Exodus and really why you decided to found this business and start it. And maybe even that leads into your beliefs in crypto, which I know you have such passionate beliefs about changing the world and making a better system for humanity. So yeah, give us that story. Absolutely. So it actually does start around, let's say, I don't know, 2014 or so with Exodus. And literally I was sitting on my couch. I was not wearing a unicorn costume and I was sitting there and I was, I don't know, probably my sweatpants. So I don't know why I distinctly remember watching Schindler's List. You know, he's sitting there, he's in the ring. I like, I'm just, I don't know why I'm watching Schindler's List and I have my laptop open. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I got to do some trades. And maybe it's because Schindler's List is a dark movie. And, and I'm like, I got to do some trades. And so I'm on this exchange. I couldn't tell you which one. And I'm on this exchange and I notice there is a coin. I think it was called Darkcoin, which now is Dash today, is Dash. And I was looking and on coinmarketcap.com, like it was going up and going down. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to start speculating on this. I'm going to buy a little bit and sell some later or whatever. And I started doing that and I realized like, wow. This is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun to buy these assets and just kind of watch the price go up and down and, and do some speculation. This is a lot of fun. Now, on the side, I was already building a Bitcoin wallet called Coinbolt. A lot of people don't know this because if, if you go and you Google Coinbolt right now, you will see the screenshots of Coinbolt and you will go, oh my gosh, that looks terrible. And back <laughs> coin bolt B O L T. Yes. Yeah. Coin bolt. And then literally, literally, guys, I was out at a, a Bitcoin meetup in Silicon Valley and, and this person came up to me. It's like, JP, I got to tell you something, man. Coin bolt looks like a five year old designed it. And, and that's when I'm like, <laughs> it looks absolutely terrible. So, and I was also told at this moment, around this moment, that you'll never monetize a wallet. That's what I was told constantly by investors. You'll never monetize a wallet. You'll never find a way to monetize. Like, come on, the, a wallet stores money. There's got to be a way to monetize. So my background is as an engineer. I'm a software engineer by trade. And so again, you know, fast forward here, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm speculating on these assets and I'm trying to figure this all out. And I knew my co-founder of Exus at this time, we weren't co-founders yet, mm -hmm. but my co-founder, Daniel Castanoli, he has design expertise from working at Nike, BMW, Apple, Louis Vuitton, Disney. Like he's done a lot of premium high-end design experience. It was like a week later, he and I were talking and I said, I was trading some assets the other day, some Dash, and it's so complicated. And even worse, because of what happened with Mt. Gox, you have to leave your assets on an exchange or conversely, you have to download a number of individual wallets. You'd have to download, mm -hmm. like I wanted to hold Bitcoin, Dash, whatever. I have to download a wallet for each one. And he's like, I know, man, I know it's, it's terrible. And then if we started talking and we're like, well, wait a second, what if we could team up and we could build a desktop wallet? Because at this time, nobody was building desktop wallets either. Everybody thought like, well, mobile's the future. In fact, one investor told us, he's like, if you're not building the mobile wallet, we don't want to talk to you. 
I'm like, <laughs> and again, remember guys, this is a time frame of 2014, 2015 and trading at that moment was on exchanges, right? And on exchanges, people, there were no mobile apps to trade on exchange. You did it on a desktop. So that's where we started. We're like, we're going to build an experience where a person can easily download Exodus, manage an entire portfolio of crypto, and then be able to swap from one to the other. And that's how this all started. And, and the swap part is, is actually how we make our money. But that's where it really, really began. I just want to set some context for those who don't know Exodus here quickly. Give us just some basic stats. How many wallets you guys have? Give us some of the foundation so people understand the size and the scope of Exodus. Yeah, absolutely. So Exodus, first of all, we have 3.3 million customers that trust Exodus to keep their assets safe. And as a company, we've got roughly 200 and some people remotely all over the world all getting paid their salaries in Bitcoin. We started this company in 2015, right from the, the heart of Nebraska here is, is where we started. And again, we started as a remote only company back in 2015. In terms of overall swap volume over the lifetime of Exodus, we've seen something like it's a little over $10 billion of swap volume in the course of, of Exodus. So you guys have a desktop wallet. Talk about what else you guys done. Because since I've been introduced to Exodus, which was back in I can't remember now it was 2019 or 2020. I remember it was just the desktop at the time. I think, no, maybe there was a mobile wallet at that point too. And then now you've got into having an extension and more. So kind of walk us through just the different products in the life cycle. Absolutely. So we started with the desktop product, but we knew people would write us and they'd be like, why don't you have a mobile app? Like, you know, and then people would be like, hey, I've got a great idea to share with you. You should build a mobile app. Like, work. <laughs> We're actually working on a mobile app and we'll get it released eventually. So it was in the 2019 timeframe when we released our mobile app. And the mobile app is really the entry point for the mainstream, right? The mainstream customer is not going to access.com and downloading the desktop app. Although they can, it's just mm -hmm. not typically what you see. So the mobile app is where it starts with the mainstream and that entry point to crypto, that entry point to Web3. Now, there's an important point to note with the desktop app and some of the experiences that we built for Web3 that didn't take off and didn't get traction and what made us ultimately choose to be like, we've got to build the Web3 browser extension. In Exodus Desktop, we thought there's a lot of really cool DeFi and Web3 cases that are emerging right now. And Compound.Finance, Compound had just hit the scenes and it was like, wow, this is the first time where a person can deposit money into a smart contract and actually earn a yield. Like that's really exciting for the mainstream. Let's build what we like to think of as a native experience. So what does that mean by a native experience? What that means is that inside of Exus Desktop, we built a way for people to go to Compound as a branded app and you would see Compound as a little app inside of Exus Desktop. And then you could deposit your die, your dice dollar stablecoin directly in there and earn yield. And so we were just so jazzed up about this. But by the time we released it, the timing on this was actually was terrible because you all remember DeFi summer, right? And when Ethereum, the gas fees on Ethereum just went bananas, right? It was like to do any kind of transaction in Ethereum, it costs like roughly, I think around what, like $100 or so. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, oh no, oh no. So we've got this compound product 
and you're depositing your stable coins and you're getting some yield, but the gas fees were, you know, roughly a hundred dollars. So, so we're like, we'll just keep it there as like a showcase of what we're capable of. And let's go to another use case. We then teamed up with SportX. And I don't know if you guys know, know SportX. You guys know SportX? No. Okay. okay. SportX is actually really cool. It is really cool mainstream use case. SportX allows you to wager on sports using Ethereum. And now it's on the uh, Polygon network. And you can, they have all the games on there and, and you can go wager. And of course, there's some legal restrictions depending upon your jurisdiction where you're located. But we're like, wait a second. Sports wagering is a great mainstream use case. Let's build an integrated native experience for sports wagering inside of Exodus. The timing on this was, I think, maybe during DeFi summer or right around. And we're thinking, well, maybe the utility of this will be so great that people will just like, you know, I still want to bet and I'm just willing to put up with the, the gas fees or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so we built that experience. And what we found there is that, again, if you kind of go back to earlier part of this conversation where I had mentioned that the mainstream, they're not as much on Exodus desktop because you think about it, right? If you're watching, like here you are, you're sitting there, you're kind of cozy on your couch, you're watching the big game, you know, and you're like, you know, I'm going to place a bet or I'm going to place this next bet. You want to do it on your mobile phone. You very rarely do like, you got your friends over like, hold on guys, I'm going to pull up my laptop and then I'm going to put in my bet. You're not going to do that. So we made the mistake there. And then we were thinking, so back, you know, let's fast forward to the Web3 wallet with a browser extension. As we saw that like the world of Web3 is blowing up before our eyes in terms of all the new products and services being developed. While we would love to build these integrations, both on the desktop and mobile, we know that we're just not going to be able to keep up. And at this moment, you know, like MetaMask and Phantom, to both to their credit, get a lot of traction. Mm -hmm. We're like, we've got to build a, an entry point into Web3 and build it so that it's a, ultimately a seamless experience. So that kind of gives a view of our product offerings and to kind of, mm -hmm. again, summarize desktop, mobile, and the Web3 Browser. And now it's sort of that Web3 type of extension wallet, and it's across chain too, so it's on a bunch of different chains. I would say the one thing that's interesting about Exodus is when I was introduced to crypto, it was from an employee at Exodus, and he made me download, not made me, but he asked me to download an Exodus wallet. And I remember back then, he sent me some ETH and like, wow, this is really cool. And it seemed like a very easy UX, and he's like, oh, and you can get this yield on it. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, and this was the compound thing. This was before DeFi summer. And I was like, what do you mean I can get yield on this? And I was just like, I was actually mind blown. But I just remember the, it was so intuitive, Exodus, because it was like, when you send it, it like makes the little noise of like coins. So it was like all these little features that made it seem just like normal to use. Whereas I remember when I got a MetaMask wallet later, I was like, what is this thing? This thing is like an alien. You know what I mean? So I would say, players were very ahead of the curve on that. Same with like native, putting the, the actual like DeFi protocol in the wallet itself so I could use Compound without having to go to Compound. So I think you guys have been very innovative on a lot of things, which has been very interesting to watch over the years. One of the things that I think you guys have done that is just, I don't know if anyone has done this to be completely honest, is the way that you guys have distributed, I guess maybe it's equity in the company. I don't even know. I'm going to ask you to explain this, but your public offering for Exodus, basically the equity of the company itself. We know like Coinbase, for example, which did an IPO. But you guys did one that's like sort of tokenized, but sort of not tokenized. And so this is just very, very interesting. I'd love for you to explain this to us so we can just kind of understand a little bit further 
about how you guys are doing this. Absolutely. So let's roll back to, let's see, it would be the summer of 2020. We were thinking about like, okay, you know, the company's doing pretty good and by pretty good, I think by the summer 2020, we had ultimately in revenue that year, we had roughly 10 million in revenue by this moment. We ultimately closed 2020 in roughly 20 million in revenue. But we were thinking about like, Okay, we ultimately believe that stocks are going to come to the blockchain. This is an inevitability. And the reason for this is that, well, us as crypto, the, we take all this for granted now. Like if you want to trade on a Saturday night, again, in your pajamas on your couch watching a goofy movie, like you, you can just do it. Like you just open up the exchange, whatever, you just trade. Very intuitive to us. In addition to that, if you got to send your buddy some Bitcoin or Ethereum, for crypto people, it's intuitive. Like you get the address and you, you just send, press send. Now... If you want to trade stocks on a Saturday night, you can't. You can't. The markets are closed. And yes, you can get access to some of the futures markets and stuff like that, but you can't do the regular spot trading, go buy Tesla on a Saturday night. You're at the bar with your buddies and they're talking about Tesla versus Rivian. And you're like, ah, I'm really going to bet on Rivian. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to place a bet on Rivian too. Bam, buy. You can't do it on a Saturday night. You got to be like, well, I'll wait until... Monday morning at 8.30 and then I'll... Maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Saturday night, 12 went into tennis. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're three shots deep and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good that you pre you can't press buy. But even, okay, so your buddy's like, you know, why don't I send you some Rivian shares? Like you can't even do that. Your buddy can't even do that. So we thought about this, like what is the experience of what stocks should be and what should equity be? And what is the relationship that companies should have with their equity shareholders and how can we make all that simple? And furthermore, given that we're a wallet and we believe that we have billions of dollars of assets under management, and that's kind of like a napkin math calculation from the swap volume and the number of customers, like we should be able to build an experience where we could do a public offering directly inside of Exodus Wallet where there's no no traditional finance involved at all. It's just, you come to Exodus Wallet, you want to buy Exodus stock, no problem. You can do it with either Bitcoin, Ethereum, or USDC. Of course, to legally do this in the United States, there are a lot of regulatory hurdles to overcome. So we found a law firm that actually had experience with at least taking some token offerings to the SEC, but they hadn't yet said, well, let's take an equity offering to the SEC. And the equity really is, is a digitized form on the blockchain. But they're like, actually, since it is equity, it should be easier for the SEC to understand and, and get their minds around. And I'm like, well, cool, let's start the process. And like I said, we started, it was around summer of 2020. We ultimately submitted our paperwork to the SEC around September of 2020. And the process is akin, it's very similar to doing an IPO in the sense of the amount of grueling effort is required. Like you gotta have the financial audits. You've gotta have a big 200 page document. The, the lawyers that are ones that, that they dig deep into detail. You gotta have all that stuff. You submit the document and then you kind of have some periods where you're just kind of waiting. But simultaneously for us, we're like, okay, we've submitted off to the races, let's get building, we gotta build this. And we have to team up with some partners that have the regulatory licenses that we need to enable this technology. 
So the law firm that we used was Wilson Sassini. So they helped us out on the legal front. And then the partner that we used for the regulatory framework and the crypto piece is Securitize, right? And Securitize has technology to actually tokenize securities. And so we, we brought these things, we packaged them all up into Exodus. And then once the SEC gave what they call, it's called a qualification. And again, anybody can go look this up on the SEC Edgar website. You just type in Exodus. You can literally see all of our documents. In fact, we have to now legally file regularly twice a year of our financials audited statements twice a year. And so we did this and the SEC gave the qualification. This was early April of 2021. And so we sold at this moment in time, we sold $75 million worth of stock directly inside of Exodus wallet. And now today, today the stock is tokenized on the Algorand blockchain and is trading in two places. It's trading both on T0 and Securitize. But the cool thing is, is that now we have this world where our stock is available. It's not just to accredited investors. Retail can actually buy Exodus stock. And the cool thing about this is that we can do what's called an uplisting. So that means that we can have the stock on the blockchain simultaneously be listed on a national exchange like the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. And so then you can imagine a world where it's like this stock is on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. And then it's also in your Exodus wallet or your Web3 wallet or any Algorand wallet. You can have the stock just sitting there. And then this unlocks a world where, like I said, stock on the blockchain makes it as easy as cryptocurrency. You can send it back and forth. You can trade it on these platforms. A lot of really cool things. For companies, if a company wanted to, a company could be like, you know what? These quarterly dividends that most companies pay out, we're not going to do quarterly dividends. We're going to do dividends every hour. Every, yeah. Mm. That's what this technology unlocks. You can also say, you know what, like, because like voting right now with governance and stocks, you have to, you get an email from like Fidelity or Robinhood, like, hey, voting's coming up for the blah, you know, their quarter, blah, 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 you know, and it's mm -hmm. just like, it's slow, slow town, right? Traditional financial, mm -hmm. it's just slow. <laughs> In the world of crypto and stocks on crypto, you can have people vote. Anytime, any day, whatever, right? It's just literally signing, you know, it's like I have the stock in my wallet and everybody, all of us are familiar with the Web3 wallets and how they work, the browser extensions, right? It's just, you know, you see a voting and if you participate in governance, you already understand how this works. You can vote and all of a sudden, you know, pops up. Yes, no, yes. And companies can leverage this technology to do more frequent voting, to have more closer relationships. You could even create a VIP program for your stockholders, right? And then you can bring in the world of NFTs. Like there's so much that you can do. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. So hopefully that gives a flavor of kind of the journey that we've taken. And, and this is just the beginning. It does. And that's so cool and so innovative. And there's so many different ways that we can go with that. I think the one thing that stands out from that to me though, is we talk about how crypto or Web3 is like bad UX. And I say that in quotations for those listening. But think about what you just explained to make your company go public for others to invest in it. You know, you got to hire all these lawyers, all these costs. It takes all this paperwork, whatever. Whereas in crypto, I can literally click one button and have a token. That's how easy it is. Do you know what I mean? So it's like in some use cases, maybe the UX is not so great. In others, it's actually like orders of magnitude better. And in terms of like financial services and things like that, it's such a big difference. 
Have any other companies been doing what you guys have done? Like, is this sort of like, are you guys writing the playbook here? Or? We are writing the playbook as we speak. We are writing the playbook as we speak. So there is no other company in the United States that has their common stock available to retail. There's no other company in the United States. How'd you guys get Gary Gensler on your side? What's going on? How <laughs> <laughs> else can I get it? My old, my old, my, my boy, Gary, he doesn't like custodial exchanges, right? You heard him the other day. He said, not your keys, not your coins, right? And wow. so that's why he's such a fan. Interesting. <laughs> okay, I want to stay in the door. Give me a call. <laughs> uh, I want to stay on the business side for a second. I think the other episodes we've done, we've talked a lot about wallets and what they are and et cetera. And I think what's really interesting here with you guys is one, because you're public, you have to explain all this stuff anyway, and you have to say your revenues and your users and all that, whereas others don't. And so I'm interested to understand when you first started building a wallet, you said an investor came to you and said, you can't monetize a wallet. No way. You said you have, and you do it through the swap function. I'm wondering if you can walk us through one, that and how you guys make revenues there and what that's been like and how that's been growing or not growing, et cetera. And then maybe talk about like what other opportunities are there for wallets to make this a sustainable business? Because I do think Wallets are going to be very competitive in the future. There's already a bunch and a, there's only more. And Coinbase just launched Wallet as a service. Like that's going to take things to another level. So talk to me about that dynamic a little bit of how you make sure that this is sustainable and how you guys earn revenues, et cetera. It does roll back to the early days when, yeah, these investors were saying like, yeah, you, you will not monetize a wallet. But it was that moment when we had, we supported more than one asset. When we started, we had Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Dogecoin. Ethereum hadn't even been released yet. I didn't think Ethereum had done their token offering yet. We started back then and we met Eric Voorhees, who is the founder of Shapeshift. We knew who he was and who Shapeshift was. He did not know who we were. And so what was cool is that they had an open API and Shapeshift, they were one of the pioneers in creating the swap services. You could go to their website and you could say like, you know what, I'm gonna swap Bitcoin for Ethereum. But their original use case is really interesting. The original use case was to allow websites to accept altcoins instead of Bitcoin. So if a website only accepts Bitcoin, Shapeshift would be like, no problem. We're going to give you this API. So instead of accepting Bitcoin, you can accept Litecoin and Dogecoin and some of the other coins at that moment of time. But it just so happened that that infrastructure could be used for the swap service. So we started building this in. We met Eric in a, a conference in Omaha in 2015. He and I were both on a panel together. You know, I talked about the panel and, and we told him like, yeah, we're building this wallet and we've got Shapeshift integrated. Just check it out. He saw it. He's like, whoa, this looks amazing. And he said, he's like, guys, I would love to invest in this and help you guys get some traction and get going. I'm coming off of so many investors saying, you'll never monetize a wall. I was so many of them. And then one of them's like, not only do I invest in this, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get to that level of success. So given at this moment in time, Daniel and I did not have shit for money. We, we were <laughs> trying to like make this work. You know, we just didn't have much money. And so here we are where Daniel and I are in Omaha, Shapeshift at this time was, was in Denver. And so we were able to just get in our car and we would drive to the Shapeshift offices in Denver. And then we would meet with them and we, you know, get feedback, whatever. And then we would drive back in the same day again, because we didn't have the money. So we're talking about <laughs> hadn't done the Omaha to Denver drive. That's roughly an eight hour drive. So we're driving 16 hours in a day just to get feedback and really to make this product take off. At one point in time, we were Shapeshift's biggest affiliate in terms of how it works. So again, since we are a self-custodial wallet, we are not doing the swaps ourselves. 
we act as an affiliate behind the scenes for these exchange API providers. And today, and I'll get to other monetization opportunities here in a second, but today Exodus has the sophistication that we have an aggregator that aggregates a number of swap providers from a number of them and decentralized exchanges all bundled into one. And so what this allows the experience for the customer is that Exodus can look and see like, ah, okay, this partner over here, let's say like a one inch, they are servicing this asset at a better rate than say this partner over here. And then we can say this partner over here is actually fulfilling this asset better than this one over here. And so we can kind of shape that experience so a consumer can come use Exodus. The customers really don't care who they're using. They don't care. It's like, oh, I hear this bonk coin on Solana is hot. I want bonk and I'm going to get bonk, you know, however, I don't care what it's provided through. And so that's why we just make it a seamless experience for customers. So that's the exchange part of the business. And that is today where we make roughly 95% of our revenue to give a figure on that. Like in 2021, the total revenue of Exodus was, I believe it was 95.8 million in 2021. We don't have numbers audited for 2022 yet. But that number is roughly, these are unaudited numbers, is roughly about uh, 50 million. And again, that's the total, total business. There are other ways that wallets can monetize. And the other ways are through fiat on-ramp and off-ramps, right? Like today, this is becoming more of a popular thing because if you rewind to pre-FTX collapse, people were not as attuned to like self-custody being so important. Yeah, they knew like, yeah, they heard about Mt. Gox and that was a problem. They heard about, you know, Voyager was kind of having issues. They, they had heard about that, these failures. But everybody believed that if you have an exchange that is the gold standard and, and you have a founder that just is, is putting themselves out there as a very trusted founder, a trusted face, we're working with regulators, we are sponsoring arenas. We are doing all this stuff, giving to charity, right? We're giving to charity, right? We're doing all this great stuff. I get it. I totally get it. Why people believe and I myself felt the same way. I was like, no, FTX is the greatest exchange ever. The earth is the greatest exchange ever. That's literally what I felt. But we know how the story turns out. One million people, guys, one million people have their money stuck in FTX. One million people lost their money, at least for now. And if you've read those stories about people saying they put their life savings in FTX and how they lost, you know, 20,000, 10,000, their kids' college savings, what a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. And so people are waking up to the importance of self-custody. And it was post-FTX where people started thinking like, oh no, no, it doesn't matter. Like, look, CZ seems like a great guy, but I, I mean, like finance, I, I don't know. Brian Armstrong, I have a lot of respect for what Coinbase has accomplished and, and what they've brought to the ecosystem and how they innovate, even with their L2 base. Tip of the hat to them. However, trusting your money in a custodial exchange is a risk. It's a risk that people should not take. And so self-custody has been become such a more popular thing. And so back to, we were talking about monetization, coming back to monetization now. You want to build an experience where a person can just download Exodus 
for any self-custodial wallet, trust, MetaMask, whatever, right? There's a lot of good options out there. And you want to have an experience where a person doesn't have to leave to get access to the world of cryptocurrency. And so that's the key. So wallets have an opportunity to really build that, build that on-ramp, off-ramp infrastructure so a person can safely feel like I'm in the comfort of my self-custodial wallet. I am in control and I know that nobody can take my money, no matter what happens in the crazy world of, of banks collapsing and exchanges and those sorts of things. Is that like your Apple Pay feature that you guys have where I can basically just go straight from my, I don't even know if it's Apple Pay, but I can go straight from my credit card or my bank right into my Exodus wallet? We do not have that feature enabled currently, but we had that, yes, it was over a year and that was the best on-ramp experience we have ever seen. Like you, you can literally download Exodus, buy Bitcoin, Apple Pay pops up, done. That was incredible. That, it, it was It was absolutely incredible. We are looking to bring that back this year. There's some challenges we're working through, but we are looking to bring that back this year. Is that regulatory challenges or is that tech challenges? Yeah, or is it Apple? Yeah. Great, great questions. Great question. It is actually fraud challenges. Mm. That's what it is. It's fraud challenges. Right. So there's a couple of companies that we're excited to partner with and work with that we're still we're still working out the details on how these are going to come together. But these these partnerships are going to come together. And we believe that by bringing these partnerships together, we're going to create an experience that minimizes the fraud to the point where it's just like we can offer it again and then the fraud is almost non-existent and then we can provide that seamless experience. Imagine if you want to get into the world of DeFi, right? Like, so let's go back to Compound as we were speaking earlier. And I know that like Aave and, and there's other big, big platforms there. If you're a consumer, you see like, yeah, right now banks are offering high interest rates, right? Uh, well, through treasuries and money markets, you can get a higher interest rate than what you could before. We all know that's temporary. We all know that the Fed is going to pivot eventually and they're going to drop interest rates back to zero. That's going to happen. So when you think about the world of DeFi and you think about something as simple as getting, you know, two and a half, three and a half, four and a half percent on your money, that becomes really compelling. And so as the mainstream customer, you just want to be able to, I'm going to download Exodus, download any wallet, right? Bam, I'm going to transfer money over one to two clicks, done. Mainstream experiences are really important. Right. But right now we've got to get an exchange. You got to go through KYC, all that. Then you can get, once you get that set up, you can get the crypto. Then you move it to your self-custodial wallet. And it's like such a pain. <clears throat> but question, if you're looking to build these features, Will you guys have to also find a way to do KYC of that if it's in the US or how would you guys get around that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like the KYC on the on-ramps, off-ramps, that never goes away. You right. cannot make the go away. But what's unique about Exodus is that we can do KYC better than anybody else. And the way that we can do it is in frictionless ways where the KYC is still happening. It just feels like, it doesn't feel like as invasive, right? Listeners out there, uh, a little alpha for you all listeners, which will benefit the entire community, okay? So a lot of KYC systems right now, this is where, like, again, this is how we think of a user experience where they go wrong, where we won't. What they make you do is they say, okay, here's a form. Type in your name, type in your date of birth, type in your region, all that good stuff. Then in the next screen, they say, upload your passport or ID. It's stupid. Your ID mm -hmm. contains all that information. Right. You don't need to have a customer type all that stuff in. 
All you need to do is say ID, bam, done. That's it. So things like that. Again, there's, there's many of those things of how we think about user experience and reducing the friction so that mainstream people are just like, I want that crypto, I want that penguin or whatever I'm going to get, or that we can reduce the friction. And, and so it, that's how we think about it. And it's those little things that really make the difference. And actually, I remember when I was talking to Davey from your company, he was like, okay, we're launching our Web3 version of Exodus. And he was like, download it, let me know what you think. The greatest thing from it, it's such a small detail, but I was like, wow, this makes such a big difference, was when you download that for any other Web3 wallet, immediately you download your, let's say, MetaMask wallet, and it's like, here's your seed phrase, go store it somewhere. And people are like, I don't even have any crypto in here yet. I don't even know what that is. Whereas you guys didn't do that. And I remember messaging, I was like, why didn't it tell me to write down my seed phrase? He's like, just wait. He's like, put some money in it. I put some money in it. Then it goes, hey, you should write down your seed phrase. And I was like, oh, Genius. Such a simple little detail. And I was like, how do they not do that? Like, it makes so much sense. So I really actually appreciate the thought you guys are putting into UX because those little things make a big difference for a new customer, I think, that are coming into the space. All right. Get, get cozy. Another story time. Uh, we'll keep this one a shorter. <laughs> but uh, okay. So that was born out of a time, again, I know I sound terrible because I keep bringing up bars, okay? This was born out of time where <laughs> you live in Nebraska. It's okay. We understand yeah. your lifestyle. <laughs> that is literally all we have out here. So I, here I am. I'm in a bar and I'm having a cocktail and my buddy's there. And he's like, JP, I hear that I need to get into some Bitcoin. And we didn't have our mobile wallet at this moment in time. We just had our desktop wallet. And, and he's like, I, I hear I got to get into some Bitcoin and buy some Bitcoin. How should I do that? Which wallet should I get? I'm like, well, let's download one right here. You download one, I will send you some Bitcoin through one of the other wallets I was using. Because again, we didn't have a mobile wallet then. And we went through a number of wallets and they were all asking to write down 12 word secret phrases over and over and over again. It's like, whoa, when you go to the car dealership, like you don't want to sign a bunch of paperwork before you want to take it for a test bit. Yeah, you just yeah. want to be like, I like this Camaro or whatever. I don't know why I picked Camaro. Maybe I'm from Nebraska, <laughs> right? I like this Camaro. I want to take this Camaro for a spin or whatever. You don't want to, well, you got to sit down and sign a bunch of paperwork and fill. You're just like, no, just let me take it for a test drive. So with these wallets, that friction should be reduced because when you don't have money in it, especially in a secure, like a mobile, it's much safer bet to do it that way. So that was one of the things where we call it the bar or pub test. Can you get somebody into crypto in less than 30 seconds. And if you ask them to write down a 12 word secret phrase, you fail. Mm, absolutely. Let's continue on the UX side just for one more question. I'm curious your thoughts on like maybe into the future and take it as far into the future as you'd like. What are the other things that we sort of like, I don't know, either get rid of like, I don't know, seed phrases, OX slash whatever, 50 different numbers. Like there's no way that my mom or someone is ever gonna use these things to understand it. Talk to me about your vision of like where you think wallets go in terms of UX and how we start to make these things much easier for people to use. When it comes to just really, really simplifying this, there's so many opportunities. So people believe often that like education is enough to really get people to get out of custodial exchanges. It's not. Education is not enough. You've got to make the experience so damn good, 10 times better for people to be like, Okay, I'm going to use your self-custodial platform before I use a custodial exchange. And so it all starts with the 12-word secret phrase, right? Like that's the first entry point that a lot of people experience friction. And so there's still a lot of work to be done here. But right now, Exodus, unfortunately, still, you know, yes, we don't have the friction up front. But when you deposit money, it's like, hey, better write down that 12-word secret phrase. 
because it's still an important thing to help a consumer capture. But ideally, we get to a world where you download Exodus and you just start using it and you can always find the 12-word secret phrase if you want it. You can always find it, but you don't have to write it down. And so we're seeing some interesting trends with wallets. A lot of wallets right now are starting to recommend an iCloud backup. And on the surface, on the surface, that feels like a good decision. Here's the problem though. The problem is, is that with the iCloud backup, you got to put in a password, your own password that you generate. And I get it. I get it because these wallets are thinking, well, wait a second, we can't just not have a password on because if their iCloud is compromised, then they lose some money. So we got to put a password on it. These wallets are missing is that people choose the same passwords. If you are using the, the your iCloud password is probably the same password you're going to use for that seed. Right. So this is where it gets really interesting with things like multi-signature technology, MPC, which is very technical, a little more technical than probably we want to go into. You can leverage these technologies where you can make it in such a way where a person can download Exodus or any wallet and just automatically back up the iCloud using another key. And you can do a bunch of things to really protect this 12-word seed phrase. So that's one example. So then you brought up another example. You brought up addresses, right? So imagine maybe you're trying to get your, your mom into crypto. You know, everybody talks about getting their, their moms into crypto, right? She downloads a wallet and, and you're like, hey, mom, give me your address. And she's like, well, son, you, you already know my address. You know where I live. And you're like, oh, mom, oh, your crypto address. Give me your Bitcoin address, mom. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. And then she's looking at it. And as you mentioned earlier, right? Zero X, you know, and it's confusing. And not to mention some of the coins... They don't have checksum encodings in the addresses. And what that means is that if you screw up a letter or number, say your mom doesn't know how to copy and paste, right? And she types it in. She types it in for some reason, you know, 30 characters, whatever. She types it in and she messes up a couple letters. And you're like, okay, mom, you know, I sent you $20 in Bitcoin. And she's like, oh, I never got it. And you, you're like, well, and you're like, oh, no, it's the wrong address. Oh, no. No, no, Brandon. I get it. For some listeners are like, well, most chains have, you know, checksums. This is true. Most do. So that is mostly a solved problem, but some do not. Really, what we got to get away from is we've got to come to a more user-friendly experience where it's just a matter of connecting with somebody you know, a contact, right? Like it could be as simple as contacts in your phone. It can be usernames. Most people are probably familiar with like an ENS or an unstoppable domains, but those carry their own UX challenges that people are not really thinking about. So let's just take ENS for a minute. I actually don't have this name, but let's pretend it was jp.eth. And remember, we're talking about mainstream people here. Let's pretend I'm a mainstream person. jp.eth, that's my name. I register it. I'm feeling really proud about it. I'm showing jp.eth everywhere. The problem with that is, is that as a mainstream person, I have to remember to go in and re-register jp.eth at some point in time. Right. You know, whether it's a year, two or three years, I have to go re-register that. And again, wallets can help this. But it's still not a user friendly thing like JP.eth is due for registration, like a domain. I think it can be better. I think when you intuitively think about these connections, you should think about it in the terms of, again, the contacts in your phone. And maybe, again, it's something as simple as like a username, like kind of a Telegram username or something like that. But these sorts of things have got to be released for consumers to just make a very 
seamless experience. It's so interesting to talk about the UX being such a challenge. So I want to zoom forward to the future. Right now, wallets are used mostly to manage money. They're used mostly to manage crypto. And you know, you spoke about how you first built Exodus in that use case. And that's what most wallets have built in so far. However, use cases for Web3 are every day, there's something new coming in. And so we're going to need wallets to manage much more than just our finances and our money. We're going to need to manage our identity, our social graph, our NFTs, our tickets, our member passes, all these different things. How do you see that playing out? Will there be one wallet to rule them all? Will we have many different wallets? Will we even call them wallets? I get asked this question so many different ways, so I'll let you jump in and take it the direction. Yeah, great question. So our, our vision is fundamentally this, that you should be able to have all your digital assets in one app, right? It should be that simple, right? I should be able to be like, oh, there's my Bitcoin, there it is. There's my Tesla stock, there it is, because we're in a future where Tesla stock is on the blockchain, right? Mm -hmm. Oh. There's my weird penguin NFT with a sombrero. There it is, right? There's my concert tickets. They're all right there. As you mentioned, the digital assets, right? All in one application. And again, this is a little more technical, but if I go and I take an LP position, right? I give money to a smart contract like an Aave or a Compound or whatever, and I get these LP tokens, a wallet needs to intuitively tell me what that means. Right. It just shouldn't say like these weird token numbers. It's just say like, ah, I've got three ETH and 300 USDC in this liquidity pool and it's generating this much interest. So that's what it has to happen inside the interface. That's one aspect of managing your digital asset. But I do see a future where the phone itself is the guardian of these keys because the phone has the ability to provide that hardware and in that safety, unlike software can ever do, right? So people, I know a lot of people are really bullish on hardware wallets. You know, it's like whether you got a Trezor or a Ledger and they're very popular and, and today they're fine products. I don't see the mainstream carrying around a Ledger or a Trezor or a hardware wallet. I, just, I don't see it. I don't see it. The way I see it is that ultimately your phone is the one that becomes your hardware wallet again at the hardware level. Right. And to get to that world, I think there's going to be a number of steps. I think in between, I think these dApps creating wallets, mm. I talk about that, but I think there's going to be a number of steps. And then I think that I don't actually see Google or Apple embracing this technology fast enough. It'll have to be a player in this space or a player that is already like very forward thinking, like just to give a quick example on what I mean by that. If you go to, you know, when Elon Musk bought Twitter, right? And there was these rumors that Apple's removing Twitter from the app store. And he's like, we will build a phone if we have to. When a person like Elon says, we will build a phone if we have to, you know, he's serious, right? Yeah. It's like, you see, it's like, I will put an offer to buy Twitter. And you're kind of like, I think he's serious, but I don't know if he's doing whatever. And then the dude goes and buys Twitter, right? He goes and buys Twitter. So when he's saying now, like, we will build a phone if we have to, this is a very forward-thinking person that has the resources and means to do it. Mm. It could also be an industry player that has established such a big network effect that it said like, wait a second, Apple and Google continue to block us. 30% tax on buying a digital asset, like buying NFTs and stuff? Get out of here with that. We're not okay with that. 
We have a big network of 500 million customers. We've got to go build a phone and compete with Apple and Google because we are native to this industry and we understand how to build an experience. So I think that somebody will do that someday. I completely agree. So when when Exodus phone, you guys going to be the one to do it for us? <laughs> or you're not that crazy. A, a secret. That one of my lips are going to be tied on that one. <laughs> so let's talk about these risks for a second, actually, because we had this conversation with Brave and it was quite interesting of if you're a browser extension wallet, technically the browser could actually just like delete. Sorry, but you can't use it anymore. Now, not all browsers, but like Google could do this, for example, right? And then we take it a next step further where, okay, I don't want to be a browser extension. I want to be an app. And this is the Uniswap thing that happened last week of, hey, we're going to launch our own wallet. It looks amazing and looks all great. and Everything's cool. They try to launch it and Apple just goes, eh, we're not going to let it happen. Wallets can be blocked by the browser. Wallets can be blocked by the app store. What was your guys' thoughts on that? Because you guys obviously had an app wallet. So, okay, you know what? Now you've gotten approval by Gary Gensler and by Apple. What are you guys doing right that no one else can do in this space, first of all? But like, what are your thoughts on that? And kind of, you know, is it just the so only solutions we got to build a new phone or what do you think? Great question. So yeah, the, the our solution, we got Gary Gensler on speed dial. We got Tim Cook over at Apple back in <laughs> dial too. That's the solution. No, okay. So more seriously, kind of rolling back to where you started. You said that Brave is a browser and browser extension that they have control. They do. And unfortunately, like Google right now, when we submit an update, to our Web3 browser extension wallet, we have to wait at least 10 days before that update gets released. It, it is insane. It's absolutely insane that Google takes along. Apple now with their manual review process, when you submit an app update to Apple, to their credit, they've got it down in less than 12 hours. Sometimes it's in a few hours. So Apple, the tip of the hat to you for however you figured out to do that. Google, Get your shit together because you're going to get disrupted. So yes, moving into an ecosystem of apps, what this allows these dApps to do is have more control over the experience for the customers end to end. So I think it's a really powerful concept for dApps to consider. And if you're a dApp founder out there and you think you want to build a wallet, get a hold of me, jp at exis.com. Get a hold of me, send me an email. We might be able to help you with that. So Anyways, these dApps out there, they're building, I think Uniswap's going to start a trend here. I actually think that a lot of dApps are going to start doing this. And they're going to do it because, again, customer experience, having that experience end-to-end -end with the customer, and then building that relationship with customers. So I know your question was more about like approvals and submission. We'll come to that here in just a second. But actually having that relationship with customers is important. Imagine if you're OpenSea and right now bids are happening on NFTs. For mainstream people, you actually have to go to OpenSea and long, oh, there's a bid, okay, right? OpenSea should control that experience and just be able to send a push notification. Hey, you got a bid on your penguin or whatever. Like they get in there and accept or reject or whatever it is. You're really bullish on pudgy penguins, eh? Do you have pudgy penguins? It is hilarious. I way overuse that example at ETH Denver and was asked that same thing over and over and over again. I literally actually do not own any pudgy penguins. You know what? I should go and buy Pudgy Penguins because it is my go-to. I just think they're right. funny. So to approval, yeah. Here's the thing. You have to understand the App Store process. And, and Uniswap will eventually figure this out. They will get it figured out. They will know what Apple likes to see, what they don't want to see, how they want you to present things to customers. They definitely don't want you to present like what seems kind of scammy. I actually got a call from an App Store reviewer. We had this beautiful video in the App Store. And we submitted an update and they're like, we're sorry, we're rejecting your app right now. 
And I'm like, oh no, what now? What What is it? And they're like, please give this person a call. And of course it's app review store team. And like, as you can imagine, getting a hold of them is really tough. I felt like a crazy ex-girlfriend. I was press and send over and over and over like, oh, not answering, not answering, not answering, leaving mess, leaving messages. I'm trying to get a hold of you. Hey, what's going on? You know, because I want to know what's going on. Finally get a hold of the person. And the person says, oh, we see that you have this video on the app store and the video looks more like a promotional video. And we don't like those. And I'm probably mischaracterizing it to some degree. So forgive me, Apple Legal, if you're watching too, okay? But it was something like you have a promotional video and we don't want that. We just want you to, if you're going to have a video, just highlight a feature or two and just leave it at that. Don't go through the whole thing about customer service and all this beautiful experience and all that. Just highlight the features. And we're like, oh, that's it? That's why you blocked the submission? That's it? Well, I'll just, I'll remove the video immediately and then we'll go back and redo it. And then she's, and the person's like, oh, great. Okay. Then we'll accept it and we'll be fine. So you've got to work with Apple long enough to get these kind of responses to know how to navigate that minefield. That's why I think so many dApps are going to come into this ecosystem and they're going to be like, ah, shoot. And they're going to get punched in the face by Apple and you just really got to know how to navigate it. But this is also the whole problem with this, right? Like you've talked already about the importance of self-custody in terms of finances and we don't have to ask anyone, we don't have to trust anyone. We just can have our money and we can send it and do things with it on Saturday nights whenever we want. And now you're like, okay, for me to launch my app, my business, which relies on all of this, I've got to get friends with Apple and I've got to listen to Apple. And it's like, that sucks. We need to change that. Suck. I hate it. I absolutely hate <laughs> it. I had the aspirations for us to build a phone someday. And, and when I tell people that, they think I'm crazy. So that's why I typically don't share that. <laughs> but because I get it, like from today, like, oh, you're a software company and that's a hardware company so far away. And I get it. I understand. But my background, I also have electrical engineering major. So I do understand some of that nuance. But I would love if somebody did it faster. This is why when Solana released the Saga phone, I talked to Tolly over at Solana. He told me about this. I was like, oh my gosh, I am so glad that I'm doing this because somebody needs to pave the way to do this. Because the whole fact, as you mentioned, Asking for permission to send your money or to use apps for experience, it's crazy town. You should just be able to download the apps that you want and just get started. So somebody's got to do it. So just to bring back what you said, if each DAF launches their own wallet, which is probably why you're giving out your email to DAFs because you want them to contact you, it's probably why Coinbase just launched wallet as a service. I can see that path. But does that mean that we're all going to have thousands of wallets, hundreds of wallets. Like that seems like yes. worse UX. Yeah. I, great, great question. No, you will have a number of different apps for sure, but you do that already today, right? Like you might have a telegram, you might have a Twitter, Gmail, you might have Google docs, whatever apps you use today on your phone, you already probably have 30 to 40 apps, maybe even more. I'm sure some people out there listening are like, oh man, if he saw my phone, I've got a thousand apps on here. Like there's some people out there like that, right? The technology should be so good that when you download, let's say like an OpenSea app or a Uniswap app, that you're not all of a sudden creating a new 12 word secret phrase for each mm, one. It's in the phone. Yes, it's in the phone as yes, it's protected. And it's just for you as a consumer, you're all you're doing is you're saying like, yes, share this information right. with OpenSea. Yes, share this information with Uniswap. That's all you're doing. Because that's what we want, right? Like we all want that. It is so painful to manage so many accounts, so many logins, so many passwords and to keep it all safe. And as you said, 
people just end up using the same password with every account, which doesn't make it safe. So we all want that single account to manage it all. I guess I just can't wrap my head around how I'll trust you. The tech is going to be able to. I think what you're saying is like every app you'll have a wallet in, but the seed phrase for that or the thing securing it underneath is the hardware itself. And so like you might have 20 different wallets as we call them today, but they're all the same thing and they're all secured by one seed phrase, right? And that seed phrase is in your phone. That's exactly right. You nailed it. Because think about it this way, okay? When you're going to buy, let's say you're going to go buy a coffee at Starbucks or you're going to order something from Amazon, you're not thinking like, oh, shoot, I got to share my credit card with each Like you're just, it, the mm -hmm. system is good enough, whether you're using Apple Pay or a credit card or whatever it is. And, and there's technology now like privacy.com or whatever, where I think you can have fake credit cards that are like proxy credit cards and that. Like it's good enough today that you're not thinking about that worry or concern. You want to go to Amazon and order a new vacuum, bam, done. You have a clean room here in a, in a few days. Wheels are turning. I know we got to start wrapping up soon, but I just have one more question there. Yeah, sure. Does the way that you're seeing this go, so like right now, if I want to interact with some application over here and I need to use my, I don't know, phantom wallet for it, but it doesn't have any money in it, I got to go send it from, let's say my ledger or something, right? And I got to like fund it over there, maybe swap into a certain token so that I can go and do X thing. If we have all these wallets and all these different apps, but they're all under the one seed phrase, they're all interconnected in some way. And I want to go use my, I don't know, Reddit or something, but I don't have any money in there. Just automatically something, money from somewhere else just gets into there, swaps into the right token. And like, I never had to worry about any of that. Just did it seamlessly. Is that your- Bingo. Yes, you got it. You got it. And both in terms of exposing that information to these apps, like you as the consumer should have that choice. Like, mm -hmm. yep. Uh, I want to share this access and information, bam, approve. And then I can actually deny it later. Like, ah, I don't know that I want to use this thing anymore. I'm going to go to another managed place in the phone or whatever, reject, and then it can no longer access or do anything. So yeah, absolutely. That is, that's how it should work. And then on top of that, as you said that if I'm going to interact with these experiences, right? Again, if I'm buying a board ape this time, I'm not buying a pudgy penguin, I'm buying a board <laughs> ape, right? I'm not thinking about oh, do I have enough ETH for the gas fees? The wallet in technology, the infrastructure should abstract all of that and make it so you still don't even have to think about it. It's like the value you want from that DAP as we know it today, app as we'll know it tomorrow, should just be a one-click experience and the infrastructure should provide all of that for you. I think we got to start to wrap up, although I also have many questions still. This has been fun, guys. We'll have to get you back on for another one because we could go so deep. This could be a two-hour episode, but we got to stick to our time. Everyone's got stuff to do. I want to give you a chance to shill. Where do you want to send people, whether it be to find Exodus, Wallet, developers, whoever in your ecosystem or stakeholders that you want to contact you, the floor is yours. Yeah, I appreciate that. So as I mentioned, yeah, if you are a DAP developer and you are interested or thinking about building the wallet, you can send me an email personally at jp at exodus.com. Additional to that, if you guys want to check out, you go to our website, exodus.com itself. And then on Twitter is twitter.com forward slash exodus underscore IO. And when we actually have the Twitter exodus handle, but there was a whole weird thing where unfortunately a hacker grabbed it and then we got it back and then not Elon Musk won't unlock it. And so I'm trying to, trying to make that happen. So yes, Exodus underscore IO is where you find us on Twitter and you'll get all the updates there. Web two companies, eh? Just I know. <laughs> Last is Elon moves too. It's like, come on, Elon. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, we usually do a speed round, but we're over time. So I'm just going to ask one speed round question, which is our favorite question to ask. If you had a billboard that 1 billion people were going to see, what would you write on it? Oh, geez. Okay. Um, to believe that you have to be motivated to take action, I think is the biggest lie ever told. So to believe that you have to be motivated to take action is the biggest lie ever told. Choose discipline. Try to shorten that up a little bit. I, like I think it. a lot of people believe that like, oh, I got, I'm not motivated today. You gotta get amped up. Yeah. Oh, I gotta get amped up to do this and my job mm -hmm. sucks and whatever. And it's like, if you wake up today and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to commit to one thing. Whether it's you're going to get in the gym in the morning or even walk around the block, it'd be the smallest thing or do five push-ups, whatever it is. And you choose that discipline and then you build on top of it the next day and the next day and the next day. When you look back at yourself a year later and then two years and three years, five years, you will have transformed yourself to be a much better person. And I believe in doing that, you'll be your best self and you have the capacity to go and change the world. So that's why I would go with something like that. Well done. Right on the spot too. I like didn't even give warm up questions. Well done. Just went <laughs> for it. Nailed it. JP, this has been a blast. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been a ton of fun, guys. To all of our listeners, thanks so much for listening in. We got one more episode coming up in the Wallet series next week with Argent. If you haven't already listened to the past two in the Wallet series, go back and check out Ledger and Brave. And JP, definitely going to be hitting you up for another show, probably six months or so. Whenever you build the phone, you got six yeah. months to do that, right? <laughs> Guys, we're going to have this done next month. So <laughs> Have a great day, JP. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this helps you along your Web3 journey. If it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. Crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.